week we had the Iowa caucuses, and we're coming up on the uh, New Hampshire primary, all of which is uh, American political theater at its finest, worst, I'm not really sure. Um, but I, I'm certain that uh, at least by this time, uh, most people have heard the brilliant statement that was made by uh, Nikki Haley. Uh, about racism. You've, you've heard this, I'm assuming? Uh, I don't think so. I read that okay. she said something stupid. I assume she said something like racism's over, racism never existed. Yeah, she said America uh, has never been a racist country. America has had racism, but has never been racist. So, okay, whatever. Mm. That's, there's plenty there to unpack, but I wanted to, uh, for our for our brain freeze today, I actually wanted to uh, tell you what one of her political opponents said in response. Mm -hmm. uh, you can you can take three guesses to figure out who it was, but uh, so this was the response when asked, uh, "What did uh, what did this person think of Nikki uh -huh. Haley's response?" Here's a quote. <clears throat> so yes, we've had challenges with how we've dealt with race as a society, but we are the no matter where what your background is. If you have one place you want to grow up and have the most opportunity, it doesn't matter your background. This is the best place to grow up. End quote. The best place to grow up. Uh, well, um, where do you want to start with that? I mean, I think uh, what freezes my brain more is probably the Nikki Haley part of it. Oh, the Nikki um, Haley quote definitely froze my brain. And, and, and especially what she said in, in follow-up, to it when she was asked to, you know, further about it. Let me see here. I've got, uh, yeah, here we go. Okay. So she said, uh, we're not a racist country. Uh, Brian, Brian Kilmeade, who was the interviewer who was asking her. And actually the question that Brian Kilmeade asked was, is the GOP a racist party? Uh, to which Nikki Haley answered, we're not a racist country, Brian. We've never been a racist country. Our goal is to make sure that today is better than yesterday. Are we perfect? No, she keeps going. But then, like, immediately later, she goes, I know I faced racism when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. America has always had racism, but America has never been a racist country, was her comment. And she's faced racism? Yeah, isn't that great? I love that, right? How, so, yes, that is absolutely a brain freeze. How has she 100%. faced racism? Is she some, I, I don't, I assume she was just a white lady, is she not? I so actually, she is the son of uh, immigrants from the country of India. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Huh. Yes, well. you would not be able to tell it by looking at her, but she is uh, 100%. And uh, so, yeah, so she, I'm sure she did face racism. Well, so here in South Carolina. So here, let me, I guess, start with the most um, frigid part of my brain based on that uh, set of statements. And I think it's the fact that um, in this country... It, for a long time after the country's founding, was legal to own other human beings of a different race. Sure. It was legal to kill these people you owned because they were your property. Right. It was legal to rape them and uh, create more property uh, because they were your property. Right. Um, and uh, they had absolutely no rights that, I mean, in the famous, you know, uh, Dred Scott decision, I think it was right where the Supreme Court said, "Yeah, uh, a, there's a, a black man has no rights. A white man's bound to respect." Is I, I, you know, legal scholars can correct me on that, but I think that's right. So all of that happened 
you know, like I said, not before the country was founded, not early in the country's right. history, but for a long time into, and that's not even yeah. talking about the current manifestations of, of racism, <laughs> right, you know, right. yeah, this absolutely. is just the most obvious, like pre-K level racism yep. existed proof that you need. Um, but so, so how did, how would Nikki Haley characterize those things as racism? Racism. So here's, but the, not, yeah. And. Okay, so so the fact that it was encoded into American law, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, huh? You know, uh, words so in, and words in, are in, funny. Words oh, are words are hilarious, and I love how. And believe me, I you know, wording is important. I think wording is very important in the way we phrase things. I mean, the the world moves or not based on how we phrase things. Uh, but when pressed for further comment, her campaign later said, America has always had racism, but America has never been a racist country. The liberal media always fails to distinguish that. Jan, so, you you have always had cancer, but you've never <laughs> been a been cancer cancerous. <laughs> um, you've always yeah, had but... you've always had tumors all over your body. <laughs> but don't worry, you're not cancerous. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, I, yes, exactly. Oh my God! So yeah, but back to the uh, original brain freeze quote that I mm -hmm. brought, which actually I'm really glad we ended up talking about Nikki Haley because I was going to probably do that one anyway, but mm -hmm. I figured maybe too many people had heard it and were sick of it. But what you mentioned, the Dred Scott case, that same political opponent of hers, when asked about that, said that was wrong. That was discriminating on the basis of race. That's why you ended up having the Fourteenth Amendment ratified to overturn Dred Scott. Same person who said, but we are the, no matter where, what your background is, if you have one place you want to grow up and have the most opportunity, it doesn't matter your background, this is the best place to grow up. The way this person began that, no matter where, what your background yeah. is, reminded me of Michael Scott on The Office. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bring together a sentence. Right, yeah. Just start talking, yeah. not even knowing where it's going. Yeah, I mean, exactly. so... A few different things. Number one, you know, it is the classic, um, you know, I, I guess now knowing what I know about Nikki Haley, I can't call her white, but is the the classic relatively privileged. privileged person thing to say where it's like, oh, racism, does, racism doesn't exist. But yeah. you know what? I was actually discriminated against based on my race. Yeah, yeah. You know, what? yeah. So there's that, and then and, and just no. I mean, you know, cognitive dissonance doesn't even begin to to cover, you know, what that dynamic is. I don't know what that. We need a new fucking term for that. I, we do need a new fucking um, term. For that. But then, secondly, uh, oh, what the fuck was I going to say? God damn it. Um, well, that's okay. I will. I will tell you that the person <laughs> said that was Ron DeSantis. Oh, and, okay. Uh, very yeah. easy to to. I mean, it was really one of two people. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I mean, let's say very clearly. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Uh, well, let me say this first very clearly. You know, you and I are well aware of the historical fact that this nation was founded on a double genocide um, mm -hmm. of Native Americans and uh, African uh, slaves, forced mm -hmm. migrants to this country. So right. a country that is founded on double genocide, uh, you know, it's got a lot of work to do to become not a racist country. I would, uh, I, that may be a controversial statement to say, <laughs> you know, I, I know some people might not agree with that. Uh, but, yeah. 
but to me, that seems pretty straightforward. The other thing uh, I do want to say that I just remembered is, you know, so there's a few different levels at which you have to um, analyze what people like Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis say. And yeah. the factual level, while funny, you know, to point mm-hmm. out what fucking idiots they are, isn't <laughs> the primary level that they're speaking. On. No. You know, they're no, they're no, no. speaking... They're speaking to their followers or their potential followers, people they want to recruit, you know, to to vote for them, support them. So they're they're just throwing out these uh, worldviews, ideologies that are completely nonsensical on the surface. But people want to want to believe anyway, you know, that they're they're not trying to convince me and you to vote for them. They know that, you you know, I mean, you got to get 51 percent in this country. I mean, that's just how it works. 51 percent of people that bother to show up and and vote or, well, not bother to. That makes it seem like it's our fault. But anyway, um, (laughs) so, you know, they're looking at and people make this mistake all the time. You can't analyze these statements based on factuality. Uh, right. If you want to understand their their political influence, and they are influential, yeah. you know, as ridiculous as ridiculous as it is, they are. Well, I'll say one more thing about this uh, brain freeze thing, and then we'll move on. Um, of course, the uh, <laughs> we could have a whole episode on the mainstream media and where they fail. But what my my favorite response to Nikki Haley's comment came from uh, Charles Barkley. <laughs> who uh, hosts a talk show uh, mm-hmm. with Gail King. And, oh, uh, and hmm. yeah, and um, they played the clip for him and he started laughing and he goes to this, I'm going to slightly misquote, so forgive me, but it was mm-hmm. essentially this. Uh, he goes, well, sure, that's correct. If we forget about slavery and mm-hmm. Jim Crow and uh, anti-Semitism mm-hmm. and the recent Asian hate, that's his quote, mm-hmm. uh, then yeah, we're not, uh, America's not a race country. And then he laughs a little more and then he goes, that was just stupid. Yeah. And I wish more mainstream media would just look at people like Nick yeah. Haley. I mean, that's, that was stupid. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that you're, you're under no obligation to take somebody else seriously. Yeah, you know, that's right. the thing that, and, and people in politics don't appreciate that, you know, when you don't take them seriously, when you laugh at them or point out what fucking idiots they are publicly, yeah. you know, yeah. um, yeah, but for some reason it's media's job to take every statement seriously, no matter how absurd. Well, all right. Nikki Haley and, and DeSantis froze my brain, but thankfully, uh, Charles <sighs> Burton thought it. Yeah. Let's try to unfreeze it going forward in this episode. He is brilliant. I, yeah. You know, he is. Take my word for it. And uh, I'm joined, as always, with uh, the much more brillianter Christopher Michael Cobb. Actually, you know what? I, I, it's, do you ever use your middle name for anything? No. Uh, no. I, I mean, why would I? Well, I, I, you know, I'm, I, I always, on here and, and many other places, refer to myself as Yon Earl Otta. And I just... Mm-hmm. Spilled your whole name out there, and it occurred to me that it, you know I hardly ever hear you use it. So no, I mean every now and then I I don't know for a while I tried this Christopher thing, but I, you know that's just kind of stupid. I I, I you know 
confession here. I have never really liked my name, to be honest. Really? I, you know, I mean, it's just, it's very common among men my age. Uh, yeah. You know, um, and women for that matter to be, you know, some true. version of Chris, yeah, you know, so, and it's not, I don't mind the androgyny part of it. Like, I think that's right. kind of cool, right. actually. Like, you don't know if I'm a man or right. a woman necessarily, if I just say Chris. Um, but uh, I don't know. I just, I, I don't, I don't really like it. <laughs> anyway. Well. I could go by, I guess I could go by CM. Sometimes people go by that, you know, yeah. I, you know, Topher is the stupidest shit I have ever heard in my life. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, maybe just like take the middle. I'm just going to go by top. <laughs> Call me top. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. Top K. That, that's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people like friends in the past have called me CK a lot. Like it was back yeah, when yeah. like Calvin Klein was like a big... Yeah, yeah. so it's like ck whatever so a lot of people call me ck some people as i said call me cold yeah. you know um yeah anyway my, my uh as you know my son's name is caleb yon and his, mm-hmm. one of his nicknames is cj a lot of people call yeah him CJ. yeah CJ. that's a good that's a good yeah, yeah that's a good thing well let's get into well let's get into another guy that often often goes by initials in our <laughs> in our society these days yeah MLK Jr. to be specific. Yeah. Uh, this past week, our country uh, honored uh, the late great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, with Martin Luther King Day. And football. Um, That's how we honor everything in this country. We play football, football on those days. We did. Yes. Yeah. Uh, on that weekend, it was uh, the wild card weekend yeah. in the NFL. And, um, you know. The, the paragon of post racial justice or racial justice society yeah. in the NFL. They, they've got stickers on their helmets, John. They do, and I I noticed it. Prime. I mean, I've seen them on there for a while now. I think it was I think it was in 2020 that the NFL said, or 2021. I can't remember, but they said here are six different phrases that you can use on the back of your helmet. Things like uh, "end hate," mm-hmm. um, "Black Lives Matter," which you know I'm very glad that that's one of the ones that they uh, agreed to let the players use. Um, but I was looking at those um, on Martin Luther King Day when I was watching the games. Uh, and, I, and it made me think uh, about how, well, it made me think of Colin Kaepernick. And um, I think Colin Kaepernick is a, is a modern hero. I think he is, I think that, <laughs> I think that ironically, 50 years from now, white people will talk reverently about Colin the same oh, way yeah. they talk and, about Dr. Martin Luther King. And how, they, and how they always supported him and thought exactly, he got right? fucked over, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, he... He lost his job in 2017. He then ended up winning a lawsuit against the NFL about uh, losing his job. Hmm. Um, but he, uh, and, and maybe he, uh, blessing in disguise, though I'm sure he would rather have continued to play football, he, it has allowed him the opportunity to be a spokesperson um, for uh, Black Lives Matter movement and racial inequality and so forth. Um, but that transition that happened in the NFL's image from Colin Kaepernick to the stickers on the back of helmets and um, and racism actually on the tur- back of the turf in um, in on the fields. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, it's up to all of us is the message. And then during the during one of the games, uh, members of his <clears throat> family came on TV for a commercial about their late um, father, grandfather, and it's. Um, and it felt like it felt like it always feels that I so desperately 
want to honor this man. He was brilliant, um, a brilliant writer and a brilliant uh, thinker, a brilliant orator. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's turned into a commercial. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So, Chris, where do we go from here? Well, I mean, I think, you know, I, I like what you said about about Kaepernick. And let's, you know, let's put out a few what I think are facts. And again, you or anybody else out there listening can please correct me if I'm wrong about anything. But my understanding is Kaepernick, you know, went to um, at least one service member, you know, and, and, and said, hey, I, I want to show some way of, you know, uh, protesting. I don't want it to be disrespectful. And, right. and, you know, is there, you know, what, and I don't know if he said, you know, what about kneeling or, you know, the service member offer. And, and look, one service member isn't representative of the whole service. Of course, I know. That. Right. But the point is that Kaepernick didn't just, you know, say, fuck America. Like, you know, right, right, right. Um, I'm going to just shit on the flag and be as like, right. you know. Um, so it was well thought out. It was a, a yeah. conscious thing that he did. And <laughs> is there, can you think of any other instance where someone kneels where it's a sign of disrespect <laughs> yeah I, before yeah. the king before the queen before in church catholics you know are famous for kneeling and like yeah i mean kneeling is a sign of respect right yeah that's, that's so, the way i understand it you know I, you know th- so i mean it, it it just goes to show how little tolerance for um nonconformity right exists in reinforcing this mythology that you know nikki haley yeah. and those people were talking about in our brain freeze was that america is just awesome and <laughs> you know okay, even you should be thankful yeah, that you get to play a football yeah, game and yeah we've had problems but look every day is more awesomer than the one before i mean that's <laughs> seriously that's the that's the, the mythology movie. yeah that's the is that what it's from? I didn't even know that. Like, Every day is awesome. Oh, I love the Lego movie. The Lego movies are so fucking funny, man. Like all They're of them. Brilliant. Yeah, and the video know. games and the, yeah, the, the Star Wars Christmas Lego specials, fantastic. Anyway, <laughs> um, but that's the mythology that you have to uphold. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we've had problems and we still have problems, but look, every day is getting awesomer. Yeah. And um, I mean, that should just be the Republican parties platform really right so if you if you do anything to threaten that image we've got to just absolutely annihilate you yeah um, and, i mean kaepernick like my understanding is he's been he's kept in shape like every year he's yeah, like he, hey, i'm he, here to try out like yeah absolutely he's been to some i know that he's been to some i don't I forget what they call them but let's just say like spring training camps yeah, or something yeah, along those yeah, lines. yeah um and and to your to your point earlier i do remember um that uh, that he met with a veteran and talked about it. If, if and again, uh, I'll reiterate what uh, Chris said. Please reach out to us and, and tell us. You know, when we make a mistake, if we misquote somebody, or if we get something wrong, yeah. we want to we want to correct it. Um, so don't hesitate to um, our email addresses are in the show notes. Yes. So please check the show notes and and send us an email. Uh, be kind. But anyway, no, um, don't be be rude. <laughs> but uh, I remember that the first. The first game at which he made he he did anything, he sat on the bench during the playing of the national anthem. And then after the game, uh, a reporter asked him about it, and he then spoke up about police brutality um, and and why he did not want to stand for the national anthem. And then I don't know 
I really don't remember whether he reached out to a particular veteran or the veteran reached out to him, but they had a conversation and a good one about ways to show this. And the, and the veteran said, he asked him um, if he, instead of sitting, if he would kneel. Um, and so it was a mutual, like they, they had this conversation and, and then I don't know if it was the next game, but a game very soon thereafter, that veteran was there with Colin Kaepernick standing mm-hmm. next to him during the national anthem while Kaepernick knelt. And by the way, I also, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent here, but when did the national anthem become solely about our military? Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, yeah, I, again, I don't think we can go off on that tangent, but yeah, fantastic question. Or, yeah. or fucking football games for that matter. Well, or, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, get to, so get no, to get to the point, though. You're being a little long-winded. Yeah, well, I do that. Yeah, I know. Um, no, my my point is that Kaepernick, like you said, he was very thoughtful about this. And then everybody, not everybody, so many people burnt his jersey and uh, protested about him protesting, which blows my mind. And then and then coaches, players, and obviously politicians said things about to the extent of why doesn't he protest more like Dr. Martin Luther King. That was said at least oh, oh, yeah. half a uh, we'll, Yeah, we'll get into that here shortly and blow that fucking shit out of the water. Like, um, yeah, I mean, Dr. Martin Luther King would have looked at, well, I, mean, I don't want to speak, like, say what he would no. have said, but that type of protest is so much more tame than anything yeah. King espoused. But yeah, right. so, let's, so let's, you know, I just happen to look up, and this, look, Wikipedia is, is my source here, but for sports stuff, you can really trust Wikipedia in general because people get more emotionally, like you know, <laughs> invested in sports than anything else. So, right. according to Wikipedia, Kaepernick has the thirty-fifth highest quarterback rating of all time, career quarterback okay. rating of all time. Um, you know, in any other, uh, any, you know, in other words, there's no reason that right. a team would. I mean, look at all these shitty ass yeah. quarterbacks. Let me tell you something. I mean, people I, I have never fucking heard of right. that, that are pro quarterbacks and suck ass. Listen, my, my family are uh, diehard uh, Pittsburgh Steelers fans. The Mason Steelers, Rudolph, is that their the, quarterback? Yeah. The yeah. Pit, it sounds it like was a fucking for the last accountant. three games of the season. Yeah. Uh, and, and the Pittsburgh Steelers went through two other quarterbacks during the year. Yeah, Mitch yeah, Trubisky. Yeah. Oh, God, uh, Mitch Trubisky. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Pickett. Puckett. Well, Puckett, Kenny, Puckett. Kenny Pickett. Yeah, yeah he's, in, he's been injured. But anyway. Yeah, he got injured. Yeah, but yeah. my point is when when any one of those players went down, yeah. a phone call to Colin Kaepernick yeah. would have been awesome. Here's another one that would yeah. have even made so much more sense. I was so hoping that my childhood favorite team, the New York Jets, when <laughs> Aaron Rodgers went out. Oh, God. Talk about an opportunity right then. He, yeah. He's out in game one. Yeah. And you are the New York Jets who have are are still riding the high of their Super Bowl three win um, <laughs> who desperately need a change of identity and yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah why not fucking call Colin yeah 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 I mean t- t- winning is not the most important thing clearly I mean it's a you know <laughs> and in sports in general I have pro sports at least I mean it's it's marketing you know is what yeah. people oh, think yeah. about it's not winning and winning helps you know, marketing sure. in general, but it's not, you know, I mean, it would be great if they actually took the Vince Lombardi approach that winning isn't the 
you know, uh, most important thing. It's the only thing, uh, yeah. but they don't. Uh, anyway. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's get into, uh, uh, Dr. King. Dr. King specifically. So, uh, I don't know if this makes our, uh, podcast more or less impressive to the audience, but we actually prepare for these, uh, <laughs> dear audience members, believe it or not. And, uh, we assigned each other a number of different readings, most of them uh, uh, written by Dr. King, some about Dr. King or, or similar types of things. Um, and uh, we, wanted, we wanted to do something people rarely do these days when they talk about Dr. King, which is look at what he actually said and <laughs> what he actually right. believed as opposed to what you know society says about him which is about sure. as benign and far from the uh far from historically accurate as you can get so yep. it, did you have a you're the you're the leader host of this particular episode john did you have a place you wanted to start yeah yeah well, it's your turn um i uh I did ask you, where do we go from here? And of course that was a loaded question because it comes from, uh, <laughs> that's right. Dr. King's, uh, last and what some call his, uh, most radical address, uh, to the, um, SCLC Southern mm-hmm. Christian leadership council. Is that what that stands for? Uh, conference, I think. Yeah. Conference, that's something, sorry, yeah, one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, he, he posed it, um, because he, he really honestly, I think, wanted to know, okay, well, what's next? What do we do? Yeah. How do we, you know, how, yeah. how do we, where do we go from here? Yeah. Um, yeah. He, uh, he, here's what, so I'm going to uh, pull a quote from, yeah. from, um, from that. Uh, and this is how he began this um, essay. He, he asked um, of the good, and, and I'm going to directly quote him. And so yeah. he uh, uses language of the time. Oh, and, yeah. The, right. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. So Man he says, human. Yeah, exactly. yeah, he says of the good things in life, the Negro has approximately one half those of whites of the bad things in life. He has twice those of whites. There are twice as many unemployed. The rate of infant mortality among Negroes is double that of whites. And there are twice as many dying in Vietnam as whites in proportion to their size in the population. This is where we are. Where do we go from here? Yeah. One twentieth as many attend college. 75% hold what we refer to as menial jobs. Where do we go from here? So, uh, yeah, speak to yeah. that, please. Well, I, so I think that the context is important because you really, there was a marked change in Dr. King's approach mm. starting about mid 1965. The last. Okay. The last three years of his life, he got much more radical, much more disillusioned. Sure. You know, with uh, the response of America in general, not just the government, but churches, you know, in particular, mm. especially, of course, oh, right. white, white churches, but also, you know, African-American churches, too, to, to some extent. Right. And he even goes so far, I forget which reading it's in, but he even goes so far as to to basically say, and of course, I'm paraphrasing that, you know, and he he put it, he uh uh, tempered his language by putting it like in the I wonder type. So he says something like, mm-hmm. you know, I wonder if the church isn't totally dead, basically in the real church, you know, is the inner church we're going to have to look to like the, yeah. you know, that, that affiliating with some formal religion is just dumb and isn't going to get us anywhere. 
so the last three years of his life, he gets much more radical, much more angry, uh, much more disappointed, mm-hmm. um, doesn't mince words. And, yeah. it, you know, if if there if we could recommend, I think, one thing that that listeners read from Dr. King, it is it, at least for me, it would be where do we go from here? Because it kind of lays yeah. out. It brings together so many different aspects um, of his thinking and of his experience and kind of lays it out in this question, where do we go from here? So uh, I'm going to be long winded here. So just jump in whenever the fuck fuck you want to. So the, well, one of the first things, you know, none of those stats have really changed appreciably to my knowledge. Right. That he mentioned 50 years, over 50 years ago. Yeah. uh, That, uh, that was, yeah. In fact, there was just a, a report in Kentucky recently about infant mortality. And of course, in general, mm. Kentucky has a very, very high infant mortality. I'm, I'm sorry, not inf- mother, maternal mortality. Sorry. Got it. Yeah. Uh, right. and, and he says infant mortality, but you know, we can look at maternal mortality too. And um, the, uh, the African-American rate of course of maternal mortality in Kentucky is just way higher than mm. the not only the white but the um uh the latinx uh yeah. mortality rate as well so you know you can look at just about any statistic that you want and i would contend that you'd be hard pressed to find one that has changed all that appreciably from when dr king was writing in fact many many of them have probably gotten worse yep so um you know i think in asking where do we go from here a few different things, you know, but one of them is, you know, he's asking the movement too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where yeah, do yeah. we go from here? What do we have to do? Like, it's not working. Like yeah. we, we, we garnered some victories, you know, right. for sure. We made some concrete gains, um, at least on the legal books, you know, if not necessarily always in practice, like we did that, but it's clearly not enough. It's clearly right. nowhere near where we need to be. So, you know what let's let's kind of take a self-assessment here and and see where we go and his you know the answer that he's trying to lead people to is is revolution essentially uh for him yeah oh absolutely for him non-violent but we, we need to talk about non-violence and you know specifically in a second too and what that is and what that isn't but i mean king was absolutely a revolutionary i mean there's just no there's no yeah. question about it um he you know and in fact and where do we go from here you know at, at some point uh, i don't know if i'm gonna be able to find it or not but you know he says oh yeah uh, he says well i'll tell you one thing from it that i yeah that stood out to me he said uh uh, as he was approaching the end of it, he said something to the effect of, I wanted to say to you in here, I want to say to you as I move to my conclusion, as we talk about where we go yeah, from here, yeah, yeah, yeah. that we honestly face the fact that the movement must address itself to the question of restructuring the whole right. of American society. Yeah, that's revolution, Why? buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's revolution. <laughs> that's, not, like, that's not reformism. That's not tinkering yeah. around the edges. That's not slow, gradual progress. That's, you know, tear it down, yeah. build it back up. Exactly. He said, why are there 40 million poor people in America? And, and then went on to say, when you begin to ask that question, you suddenly you're, you're questioning the entire capitalist structure of the economy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he's saying more and more, we got to begin to ask questions like this. Yeah. You know, of all of society, not just the the experience of African-Americans, but the experience of poor people, the experience yeah. of people who are not in positions of power. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you ask the questions like, who owns the oil and who owns the water? <laughs> right, and right. you know these are, and this is this is revolutionary. 
we all are still asking those questions though and yeah. we haven't really arrived at answers yet that we no yeah and i i mean um i told a friend of mine i remember where we were uh, 2009 i was at the american anthropological association conference with my best okay. academic friend and we it was back when i was drinking way too much and mm. i probably killed most of a bottle of bourbon mm. uh and um uh we were talking about, I don't know, we had this really like, we, we had a lot of existential conversations and sure. we were both kind of depressive. <laughs> so <we're> like, <laughs> and uh, at some point I remember saying, I really believe this at the time. And to some extent I still do that. I, I really think the world ended in 1968 basically. And uh, we've just been living in like the aftermath, you know, since, right. since then. And nothing i mean obviously things have happened yeah but, but the basic structure of the world you know was you know set at that point when the mm -hmm. re revolution you know the global revolution that was happening was put down yeah. violently essentially especially in the united states i mean yeah you know think but of worldwide, all the, really yeah i think i mean think of all the people that were killed not only yeah. you know mlk but you know bobby kennedy and you know yeah. was he a revolutionary i don't know enough about him to know that but you know he was killed. I, I think he was. I think he was more so than his than his presidential brother. Yeah, I think. yeah. I, and, and his I brother may have gotten there. Right. You know, his brother yeah, yeah, may. Have, I mean, yeah. you know, I don't want to make it seem like JFK is some great white hope or anything, but he did yeah. have. You know, he did have um, sympathies for colonized peoples through the yeah. world. You know, his family was Irish, and you know the mm -hmm. Irish were the first despised race you know really mm -hmm. uh in in the world um were a separate race were just completely shit upon by the english of course yeah you know and kennedy famously you know said what the fuck the french doing in algeria like you know <laughs> yeah, anyway yeah. um so uh so yeah so uh I, part of what excited me about this episode as we were planning it and i was mm. i was reading through this stuff is like well we do, I still do believe that we've been in, in terms of social progress and I'm not, look, there's tons of people out there and I like to think that I contribute to it. Sometimes there are tons of people out there that are working their asses off, you mm -hmm. know, to make this society better. Um, it's really hard work and nothing to my knowledge has really garnered the momentum, you know, that, that, that Kings led movements did at the time. And, you know, galvanize the public, you know, it, uh, in ways that, that King's movements did for a time anyway. So, but we have, I think, a, a not, not a blueprint because that's too specific, but we have principles and beliefs and practices and tactics set out by King that mm -hmm. absolutely show us where to go. And yeah, of it's just a question of getting people together to do it you know, is organized, uh, organized masses of people. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't know, <laughs> you know, we, we started this podcast because we wanted to create a community of like-minded people who want to not only just talk about these things, but try to do something about them. Um, and, and I don't really know, um, <laughs> uh, where we go from here. Well, but, um, one of the things that, one of the things when I was, by the way, reading that, essay there's so many that struck me from that and um i definitely think obviously like you said people if they can only read one thing either mm -hmm. that or a letter from a birmingham jail those are the mm -hmm. two for me that are the best but in 1960 whenever this was 67 60 whenever 
He uh, he said we must develop a program that will drive the nation to a guaranteed annual income. And yeah, that is something yeah. that we're still talking about. Still talking about well, it's still seen as a for yeah, basic income. It's still seen as a crazy idea, you know. And yeah. I, you know, so yeah, full jobs program with meaningful, uplifting work, you know, or mm -hmm. a guaranteed annual income or some combination of that. For King, that was the baseline that America yeah, had was... to do before it could even begin, you know, to really yeah. make itself the society that it liked to think that it was. Because it meant that doing that would, if not eliminate poverty, certainly alleviate it for millions of people. Yeah. Um, and at the time, Dr. King quoted John Kenneth Galbraith yeah. saying that they could do this for about $20 billion a year. Yeah. Now that's, a, you know, that's the sum that's pretty big. And obviously it's going to be much bigger today, but at the time, uh, King said, if we can spend $35 billion a year to fight an evil, unjust war in Vietnam and $20 billion to put a man on the moon, right. we could spend billions of dollars to make sure that people eat. Yeah. I mean, so this brings up a few interesting things, you know, one is that, um, you know, because King lived in multiple worlds, uh, this mm. often happens with, you know, and by that, I mean, the academic world, yeah, uh, the activist world, you know, principally, and, well, in the religious world, I guess those, yeah. those three different, you know, an activist doesn't even, he was an organizer, the organizer, yeah. world. you know, we don't give him the credit, I think, for being as uh, brilliant in each of mm. those fields separately. Like, yeah. like King, if he had just devoted himself to academics, he would have been a oh. world renowned scholar, been giving right. talks everywhere throughout the world, you know, been yeah. published, you know, 50 billion books like right. um, and, you know, pick another any one of those. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he was a philosopher like he had a mm -hmm. philosophy Ph.D. I mean, this guy mm -hmm. read Marx, you know, Hegel. Yeah. Nietzsche, you know, he read and knew all of these yes, people. Exactly. He yeah. was a theologian, um, mm -hmm. obviously. And, um, you know, he, he, he read theology with the philosopher's eye and vice mm. versa. So, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things I most, I, uh, just personally kind of like excites me about King is his devotion to intellectual rigor. Yeah. And uh, while also being devoted to religion, which is like something mm -hmm. most people don't care about at all. It's right. Like, you know, like right. Religion deprives you of the ability or the, the necessity of being reasonable, you know, for, right. for most people. But right. he within that, he was also a theorist of political economy. Yeah, like, absolutely. You know, Marx and, and John Kenneth Galbraith. I mean, he understood political economy and had a critique of capitalism as um as intellectually advanced as anybody ever has. And he could put it in language the everyday person could understand. Right. <laughs> you know, exactly. which makes him even more brilliant because he could have, like, he could have written all the fancy academic shit that nobody could Absolutely. understand, you know? Um, and I'm sure if we looked, we could find yeah. some of that too. Um, and I will, I will confess uh, that I am the type of person who needs, who needs that common everyday language when I'm yeah. reading about kinds of issues i'm not an academic uh and i uh i'm not an idiot but i'm not an academic and i uh, uh when i reread letter from a birmingham jail which i had not read for probably two decades i was once again struck by the poetic nature of his language oh yeah yeah, yeah. you know the way well, he right. 
he yeah. was a poet. He was absolutely a poet, which I think the best preachers are, the best yeah. uh, philosophers are. They have that aspect to the way they they discuss issues. But yeah, you're right. He would have been yeah, he would have been top of his field, which he was top of his yeah, field. He would and, been top of his field in anything. And I think what you know the the two things are related that we were just talking about the the question of being a revolutionary and restructuring mm. all of American society. Because if you yeah. if you devote yourself to an intellectual intellectually rigorous analysis of capitalism yeah you inevitably come to the conclusion that a revolution is necessary a whole yep. different social structure is necessary that yeah. within this system it's just not going to be possible to achieve things like fairness and you know equality right. and true democracy you know um because uh, that's not what capitalism is. Capitalism, no. sorry, I, my voice just got really high there. Capitalism is a system of structured inequality. Yeah. You know, you don't, there, capitalism leads to inequality. That's just a feature yeah. of capitalism. That's what's supposed yeah. to motivate people to live, you know, to work and work hard and try to get ahead. You know, I mean, the whole like getting ahead that, you know. Yeah. It's a system designed to have winners and losers. Right. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's, it's not a system designed to have winners and slightly less. <laughs> right. That. Right. That's the mythology, though. Right. Is that? Yeah. The rising tide lifts lifts all boats. The trickle down economics. That. Yeah, yeah. You know, if if we allow rich people to get richer, well, we're all just gonna go up. You know, yeah. following them, and yeah, we're not going to be as rich or whatever, but everybody will go up. <laughs> and of course, the. Yeah, the evidence says otherwise. One of my favorite yeah. um, aspects. I mean, look, I, Catholic Church. I've stepped away from it. Even Pope Francis, mm -hmm. of course, you know who the conservatives despise, mm -hmm. is not great on things like abortion and things like that. Right. But on economics, he's awesome. And his first papal encyclical he put out, I think his first called Evangelii Gaudium. You know, he talks about, and this is a this is a religious person saying to economists. The problem, mm. the problem with trickle down economics is that it's never been supported by the facts. In other words, yeah. in other <laughs> words, you have this blind dogmatic faith in uh -huh. trickle down economics that right. we usually, you know, ascribe to religion and you're Damn, completely the... neglecting the facts that it just doesn't fucking work. Dude, if the, if the Pope can call you out for being too dogmatic, yeah, I think that maybe you might have a problem. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and you know, it's not like we don't know this. Right, right, right. Well, but, many of us know it, but a lot of people don't. Or if they do know it, they turn a blind eye to it. Or it's like, well, what are you going to do? It's like, you know, it just seems inevitable, you know, it, yeah. because you have to replace it with something else. Otherwise, this dead zombie economy will just keep, you know, keep being undead. <laughs> you, know, well, you know, I think it was the I think it was the the great science fiction writer uh, Ursula K. Le Guin who said that um, capitalism seems like it's um, something that we can't escape from but she said uh, the divine right of kings used to feel that way as well you know and yeah go we ahead, overcame sorry. that yeah uh, so if, if we can do that we can do this you know and I and I still do really like that quote in many many ways but my eternal <laughs> my eternal pessimism kind of kicked in recently when I was thinking about that and I was like well yeah I mean we really do still have the divine right of kings and queens through capitalism. We just yeah. don't, we've lost those labels. Yeah. But the divine we, right of billionaires. Yeah. But we still treat those people, you know, oh, in, yeah. in the same sort of way yeah. that we treat, that we treated kings and queens. You're very, you you're know? very correct. Absolutely. Um, so I don't like maybe, I mean, maybe that's the, 
you know, one of the mistakes we've made and intellectual mistakes is that mm. thinking that we transitioned from this feudal economy, you know, based on nobility and lords and serfs, but we really right. haven't, that we're really yeah. still in this feudal, feudal economy and uh, with caste a caste system. Yeah, a caste system with a little bit more or, or a lot, I don't know, you know, <laughs> in, differentiation within the serf yeah. class. Yeah, there's there's a wider range there now than than there used to be, perhaps. But there's still right. this, you know, uh, impermeable bar between the aristocracy, you know, and the rest yeah. of us. And by impermeable, I don't mean lit. I mean every now and then, like somebody yeah, shoots, yeah. shoots up into that class, you know, but not yeah. not very often. Well, and that's the problem. Uh, that is a problem is that when, when someone does shoot up into that class, then the people of that class can, can use them as an example. Right, and say, right. See, you, anybody can do it. In, this right. That's right. Can do it. That's anybody right. can do it. That's right. Which yeah. is, which is of course completely inaccurate. Um, well, it's the lottery mentality. I mean, that's, you know, yeah, yeah, it's true, you or know. the casino mentality. I mean, and that's kind of capitalism too. It's like, it, it's a that's casino, true. it's a casino economy, you know, the um, house does always win, but every now and then, so that's, do you. that's right. Exactly. So we, you know, everybody thinks, well, I could be that person. No, you're not yeah. like, you know, whenever yeah. I hear people say, you know, I'm going to go buy a lottery ticket. I'm like, can you just please give that money to me that you're going to spend <laughs> on that? Like I will, I will do something with it productive. You know, even yeah. if that's just like, you know, buying myself a, I don't know, whatever, a cheeseburger or something like, you know, I, right. I will do something with it instead of just throwing it down the toilet. It's like, there's, I don't, you watch a lot more Family Guy than I do, but I, I don't, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a full episode of Family Guy, to be honest. But, I don't know where you get that from, by the way. I, oh, I watch some Family Guy. Well, I mean, I, maybe it's just because I, I don't, I don't watch it at all, but there's, I saw one clip where Peter Griffin goes to a sports book or whatever and he goes i want to make a hundred dollar bet and the guy says do you want to pick a team he says no nah, just take my money like I mean, that's, <laughs> that's that's how it works that's pretty good. you know that's yeah yeah that's, you're gonna uh, give it to him one of my roommates in college tim beal he referred to the lottery as a voluntary tax yeah, uh, yeah totally. which i thought was a really good way to put it because uh, we are told all the time, uh, especially here in West Virginia, that the lottery goes to help fund education and tourism and yeah. all this kind of crap, which I'm sure it probably does. I don't know. I don't really care. Um, but, but it is a, it's a voluntary tax. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It, let's, um, if it's okay with you, let's, I mean, we could talk for 50 yep. hours about this. So it, let, let's make sure. sure we cover one of the things that I think it's really important to cover, which is King's approach. To, yes. to making social change and based sure. on now here's to me the key thing is summed up in this differentiation okay people often talk about king's non-violent strategy right but that's right. not that's not what it was king's strategy was non-violent direct action yes and unless you put all those things together you totally misrepresent Right. King's approach and what nonviolence really is. Just saying nonviolence yeah. is insufficient because yeah. not, not, it implies direct action. You know, some yeah. intentional uh, confrontation that you precipitate between right. the power structure and the people that it's oppressing. And without that direct action component, without nonviolence being a practice, Mm. then what we're talking about is pure passivity, just ex right. acceptance of the status quo, which, and now here's another equally important point that King says, you know, there are, when we realize that um, 
that we or some other group in society are confronting oppression, there, mm -hmm. are, there are three possible responses. One is acceptance, like mm -hmm. um, uh, adjusting yourself to that order and just trying to kind right. of eke out whatever existence you can, you know, knowing or believing that nothing's really going to change. So it doesn't really matter. Right. That to King is the greatest evil and to Gandhi yeah. and to whoever else, you know, that yeah. is the accepting oppression um, for anybody, for, yeah. you know, is the greatest evil. The second thing you could do is violently try to throw off that, mm -hmm. that oppression. Right. Um, King and Gandhi believe that this isn't the right way to go either but largely for practical reasons exactly um, yeah they they yeah. Uh, that there was a, a, a quote that he said that um the our enemies would uh would prefer to deal with a, a few small yeah. armed groups yeah. rather than a huge unarmed right. but resolute mass right so, exactly uh, well and he and and he says to people all the time that say like nonviolence doesn't work or whatever. He says, well, okay, show me one concrete thing that violent resistance yeah. has achieved in this country. You right. know, show me a concrete thing that the, you know, the riots achieved or whatever that is on par with what this movement has achieved. Mm -hmm. and, and then maybe I'll listen. I'll listen. To yeah. You. So there's those two things. And, and interestingly too, Gandhi said, if there's only a choice between acceptance of oppression and violence, then yeah, violence is the way to go. Right. Um, because accepting oppression is the far greater evil. Yeah. But, and, and, but, you know, in fairness, he did say, but, you know, I think nonviolence is infinitely superior, you know, right. to violence as a strategy, as a way to make change. So, and then the third way is this nonviolent direct action. So, Nonviolence, and here's again, I think a fundamental thing people misunderstand. Nonviolent resistance, nonviolent direct action is the absolute exact same thing as violent warfare, with the mm. sole exception mm. that you do not commit acts of violence. Wow. And what I mean by that is you try, there's an enemy. King and King, yeah. these are King words that oh, King he, used, you know. That's true. He referred to their enemies a lot yeah. in, in his writing. There is an enemy. There mm -hmm. uh, are victors and losers. Mm -hmm. There is confrontation that you intentionally precipitate. Right. Uh, including, you know, trying to elicit a violent response from your enemy. Right. Um, there, uh, you use power. You use, mm -hmm. you use direct action as a weapon. Yeah. Like, you know, so the, the, the predominant, you know, white liberal, especially, um, uh, uh, reception of King. Yeah. This, the, the, these are not things that they're comfortable with. You know, this is, right. the, this is the group that says, oh, you know, that's an act of violence. If you, mm -hmm. you know, say that the mayor or the president is, you know, did something bad or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Like words are violent. And it's like, yeah, words can be violent. I mean, don't sure. get me wrong. You call somebody a racial slur, that's an act of violence. Absolutely. But uh, but in general, no. Uh, violent, Especially not people of power. When you're yeah, pushing up yeah, that, people that's, of power. That's exactly right. That's the key differentiation. Like, so Absolutely. I, so I, you know, as you know, am active and used to be a lot more active before I was on the school board with the local direct action organization, Citizens of the yeah. World Organizing United Together, a group that I just absolutely love, you know, has done mm. so much for me 
personally, in addition to, to you know, letting letting me help contribute to make concrete social change. And um, oh, what the fuck was I just talking about? Uh, <laughs> no, we're, <laughs> seriously, where was Something I going? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So so we have an annual assembly where we engage in nonviolent direct action, where we, okay. we pull decision makers out on stage and we ask them directly, yes or no, are you going to do this or that yeah. to make people's lives better? And these are things that we've researched. These are things that we know are within their power to do, despite right. all the bullshit right. that they throw out about why they can't. There's no money and right. blah, 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 blah. Um, we know they can do it. And yeah. often people that are not, um, you know, fully trained up and, and are invited by other people and say, well, you're, mm. you're bullying those people. Yeah. So, well, one, if you think that's bullying, I guarantee you, you've never been bullied in your life. <laughs> uh, Fact. Yeah, number number two, no, because they are in a position of power. Yeah. You know, they, you cannot you cannot bully no. somebody who is in control of decisions about your life. No, exactly. And in the public domain, bullying doesn't even apply. I mean, it's like when when yeah. when you know when corporations go into negotiations with each other. Mm. Are they bullying each other by trying to get the best deal, you know, for their corporation? Sure, right. Yeah. No, it's just how it works. I mean, that's how the public yeah. realm works is you apply yeah. pressure. You know, you have to have leverage. Otherwise, yeah. you're just depending on people's goodwill. And that hasn't gotten people very far in this country. <laughs> the, the, the cognitive disconnect is, is amazing to me that, that people can think that, um, you know, Calling on a politician or or a, or a CEO or somebody in a position of power to do a thing, and then getting getting not only frustrated but maybe yeah. you know mad and direct with them about yeah. their failure to do that thing is bullying. But these are the same people who will call a liberal a snowflake for right. having an opinion about right. um, the actual bullying and discrimination uh, I mean, of LGBTQ people or people of color, all that stuff. White it, people. It, I, don't, I don't understand yeah. how that brain works. White people, conservative white people especially, are and liberals are the biggest snowflakes in the world. Really? Yeah, mean, right. Yes. The absolute biggest snowflakes. And they cannot take any heat whatsoever. By um, the way, I want to I take one hot second there mm -hmm. to say that um, I think the best thing that a white person who actually wants to uh, be a good ally to people, the, the, the best thing that they can do is take criticism, listen to that criticism, and adapt yeah. based on whatever criticism they receive. Well, well, take it, I mean, and it's not like, yeah, there's a great, um, there's a really great article on organizing uh, called Building Resilient Organizations. And mm -hmm. I, I apologize heartily to the author because I can't remember his name offhand. Uh, but it's written by a, an African-American uh, guy and um, he lays out, I think, perfectly the, mm -hmm. the approach, you know, because he says what you just said, basically. But he also says, look, let's not be under any illusion that just because a person is is from a minority or oppressed group that they have perfect right. insight. Right. You know, into things. And right. we, you know, and I'm paraphrasing and apologies if I get it a little bit wrong, but my, I, I'm pretty sure he says something to the effect of, you know, you, we shouldn't let people get away with saying like, as a member of a minority group, you know, right. my view inherently has more value. I mean, we should yeah. like, it's, you know, it's like, we should um, give it more consideration as to yeah, possibly 
yeah. you know, because what we usually do is just dismiss it, you know, as a yeah. society, as white, white yeah. men, you know, our, yeah. you and I are socialized to accept our, like, you know, we're the center and, you know, and, yeah. uh, and we're trying to get rid of that as best we can. And I'm sure not, not succeeding yeah. a lot of the time. Um, great, great yeah. book by, uh, Ibram X. Kendi called yeah. How to Be Anti-Racist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's a good one to just, I'm throwing that out there as a, yeah, something totally. people should check out. Um, so so if you back on uh, King and Nonviolence, so yes. Yes. equally, so of those three approaches, passivity, acceptance, mm. violent reaction, nonviolent direct action, King, yeah. King says that passivity and violence are equally immoral. So yeah. in other words, unless you yourself are engaging in nonviolent direct action, unless you are contributing yeah. to it, you have absolutely no right to criticize somebody for being violent. Right. You know, King thinks that, that that's immoral, but he's engaging in nonviolent direct action every fucking second of his life. You're, right. <laughs> you're sitting on your fucking ass yeah. and, uh, and just criticizing from the sidelines and your position yeah. is equally immoral, probably more immoral because right. you aren't doing shit except yeah. opining. Yeah. The people who complain and bitch about um, when when there is a riot and when uh, when people who, whose voice has not been heard and they have, they feel there is no other way to make it heard riot by smashing things or, you know, tearing up yeah. stores or whatever. The people who sit on the sidelines have, you know, they, they complain about that. Right. And that's the, that, and like, I'm, I mean, liberals too. I'm, oh I'm yeah. Not, oh, mostly know, liberals. Liberals maybe yeah. are the worst about it. Oh, totally. You know? Yeah, totally. Um, and so, so you're right. Those, uh, of those two things to me, um, sitting at home, drinking a beer and saying, wow, look at all these people, all the things, horrible things that they're doing. And I'm a good person because I posted on Facebook on Dr. Martin Luther King Day <laughs> right, about how much right. how much I love him. Or yeah. saying some bullshit like, oh, I agree with those people. I understand why they're mad, but they shouldn't do that. You know, yeah. it's like, I mean, that's, you know, the ultimate. I mean, liberal is the ultimate have your cake and eat it to political category. Like, yep. want to have it both ways. Want to be a good person, but don't want to do shit. Anyway. Yep. So, um, uh, where I had one. Other, oh, yeah. So. Similarly, and this is, I think this is from Where Do We Go From Here? And I think, I believe it or not, we've been covering many different readings. And King, like one of the yeah. good things about King too, is that across different writings and speeches, he emphasizes the key points again and again and again. Right. And a few of the things he emphasizes are one, this, this, this idea that nonviolence is a weapon and you should mm -hmm. use it in the same way you would use a weapon to defeat your enemy. But one of the other things he says over and over is that he as a christian you know as a believer love is the most important thing that to him yeah now, a few things on this one he says love your enemies yes i agree with this but i'm glad it didn't say like your enemies because there's a lot of people that are really fucking hard to like basically you know <laughs> yeah um and you know what exactly it means to love your enemies is of course i mean there's you know uh, that's more than we can really get into, get into right, right, right. but it's like, you know, you want I, part of it, I think, is you want good things for people, even if, you know, they fucking suck and, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that in their personal lives or whatever, it's like, yeah, I wish you all a happiness in this public domain. You're a fucking piece of shit. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to try to yeah. defeat you because you, yep. you know, so, um, but the other thing he says about love is that love 
without power isn't mm. really love. Mm. That love without power is what he calls sentimental and anemic. Mm -hmm. He calls it repeatedly emotional bosh, <laughs> mm. which is nice. you know one nice. of, one of the the best phrases I think that that you could uh, you could come up with. Yeah. So, uh, in other words, what he calls um, uh, immoral power. Mm. which is the the power structure you know immoral yeah. power is bad but, yeah, yeah but powerless morality is just yeah. as bad not right. not like you know bad just as bad yeah. as immoral power is powerless because morality. The, because the the uh morality without the action enables yeah. the enables the immorality in power you know it it is just it it yeah, uh, it's like the the silence. Silence is the voice of the oppressor. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. Uh, it's well, the same right. sentiment. Well, we are. I mean, love is an act, right? Love is so, an act. Yeah, it's not it, a feeling, <clears throat> right? And if we're called, you know, and, and forgive me for getting a little bit preachy here, I guess, but this is like, you know, I I despise organized religion, but uh, but I love this form of religion, which to me is the yeah. the, the true religion um, sure. that. Uh, uh, oh fuck was I? Oh yeah. So love is the highest thing for for a king, but for him, it's like okay, we got to figure out what how to love. It's not something mm. that we can just do. It's work. Right. Love is work, yeah. and yeah. it's social. It's work in society. So like, sure. you know, if we're called to love everybody, uh, you know, I mean, I grew up in the Christian tradition, but I'm, you know, this is a belief that you know spans in different words. You know, most, right? Most, if not all, religious traditions. How do I really do that? You yeah. Know, you know, how do I, in other words, there are billions of people out there I will never meet that I'm supposed to love. And, mm. and a large percentage of those people are compelled to live in abject misery. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep, yep. <laughs> so how do I love them, you know, without, without doing something for them, you know, not in a, or, or doing something with them to improve their, their, and it can uh, be, it, yeah. it can be a, an overwhelming sense, uh, which is, I do think some, sometimes not always, obviously, but sometimes I think people who of good intention, who do want to love uh, in action, get a, get a feeling of being overwhelmed because oh, sure. we, yeah. we, we are particularly now, we're inundated on a daily basis, hourly basis. Yeah. How shitty the world is. Yeah. You know, how crazy the world is. And, and it, it feels like, well, what do you do? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you, you throw up your hands, well, which I understand. But that's why community organizing is the key. And, 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 and I yeah. believe this and King believe this, you know, you, yeah. you have to act in concert with other people, yes. like masses of have organized exactly. people and King. Yeah. And I forget which one it was in. I'm not going to be able to find it offhand, but maybe it was social organization of nonviolence. I don't remember, but you know, his vision near the end of his life was we need essentially permanent forms of nonviolent resistance yep. organizations in neighborhoods, yep. you know, so so the again the exact same thing more well basically that the Black Panther Party wanted to do, but right. you know nonviolent, uh, nonviolently right. um, that we need these permanent organizational structures. It's something Mandela talked about in South Africa. Like every community has to be 
uh, a wing of the trade union movement was how, mm. you know, was how Mandela put it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and it's not, I and mean, organizing is really hard because you know what, you've got to work with other people and that's really yep. hard to do. <laughs> even if yeah, you're not going, you're not going to agree with everybody. Right. And, and a lot of voices are going to want to be the loudest voice in the room. Right. This is it, from, from his, um, writing the social organization of nonviolence. This is what he said. It is this form of struggle, non-cooperation with evil through mass actions, never letting them rest. That's right. Which which offers the more effective road for those who have been tempted and goaded to violence. It needs the bold and the brave because it is not free of danger. It faces the vicious and evil enemies squarely. It requires dedicated people because it is a back-breaking task. And it is. Yeah. And and I don't want to make it seem like, you know, I'm anywhere near on par with what like people in the civil rights organization did, but, you know, having organized in the city for quite a while, yeah, you know, it's, it's incredibly frustrating. And I mean, it is constant disappointment. Like I cannot tell you, but you just have to have a faith that there is going to be that one, you know, like, I mean, the, the best, I mean, it's a number, it's like, it's a numbers game. You know, you, you, you reach out to a boatload of people and you try to, you know, tap into their values and inner motivation Mm. to be a part of the work. And, um, it's almost like a political campaign where you just try to get as many voters, uh, to, to vote for you and your cause, but you actually want them to do more than that. But every now and then you, you get somebody like I, you know, a meeting, I coffee meeting I had with a husband and wife, oh God, maybe seven, eight years ago. Like I, I went into it not expecting a whole lot. Yeah. Um, <clears> that, you know, they weren't really prepared for like what I was going to, uh, toss out. Like, can you be involved in this way? But, yeah. um, they have been the like one of them is the president of co-president of cloud now like nice. you know and is like grateful to me for pulling oh, him into this work and that's wonderful you know but that's that's like one out of hundreds you mm-hmm. know of people that that I've, i mean it's like you know it's like fishing you know it's like you throw yeah. your line in a billion times and maybe you might get get a bite here or there but i would like yeah. to i would like to take a second to say how thankful i am and grateful to you um, first of all, for entering my life you, and opening my eyes to a lot of things. I should be, absolutely. <laughs> I really should be. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds, but, you know, growing up where I did and how I did, there were a lot of um, misconceptions and horrible ideas that I had that you helped to eradicate and educate me about. But one of the things in similarly that I'm thankful that you introduced me to was Witness for Peace and the um, and the fair trade coffee movement which yeah, yeah. Uh, might sound like a small thing but um oh, it's huge I, yeah it's a huge thing and you know uh, sometimes way too often particularly liberals who have uh the privilege of having a little extra spending money the way that they want to make a contribution to um the civil rights movement is to write a check but if you are if you're a coffee drinker and you want to get you know make a contribution to the, a better world 
fair trade coffee. Anyway, yeah, my, equal my, exchange in particular, like equal uh, exchange. Thank you. That's I was drawing a blank. Yeah, that. I mean, and they, I mean, I, I still buy five pound bags of equal exchange coffee. You know, and, and like they they will list on the bag like the particular farmers cooperative that yeah. that the coffee came from, and I've actually been to one. You know, and it's really really in cool. Nicaragua, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, several years ago at this point, pro, yeah, yeah. protocol. I think it was in Esteli. Anyway, um, but this is as much as something can be genuinely fair trade this is about mm -hmm. as close as you can get if not perfectly yeah. genuinely fair trade coffee and it's right. really fucking good it's delicious <laughs> it's really it's fucking delicious. good coffee you get all kinds of different roasts yeah. and flavors it's, it's yeah and we're not getting any kickbacks or anything here from equal exchange at least Definitely not yet not. yeah at least not yet you know on that i, I did want to give a shout out while we're giving kind of shout outs to um i just received the book in the mail yesterday so i have not read it yet but um, if you listen to one podcast, it should not be this one. It should, <laughs> it should be, it should be a podcast called Shutdown Fullcast, which is nominally about college football, yeah, uh, but about so much more. And one of the co-hosts of that show grew up deeply, deeply evangelical, and yeah. um, just published a novel, um, you know, about a kid, you know, growing up in that world and yeah. you know struggling with all the sorts of things he struggled with and and this guy yeah. now in real life is is not evangelical in the least and in fact he's yeah. the all the pre-order sales from the book it's the book is called hell is a world without you by jason kirk all of the nice. pre-order sales he is donating every cent to the trevor project Nice. And he's donated, I think, over fifty thousand dollars so far. Good lord! You know, and this That's is not nice. a this is not a rich dude. Like he could use this money. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um. So look that up. Shut down full books. I think you can find it. Hell is a world. Shut down full you. cast. Shut down full cast is the podcast. Shut down full books is the oh, the, the book okay. site. And, gotcha. uh, and hell is a world without you by Jason Kirk. It's uh, I, again, I haven't read it yet, but everybody is just raving about it. And, uh, nice. I, I mean, I'm really looking forward to, to reading it. It's the next on my list now. Nice. Nice. Um, okay. So where, where were we with, well, I, so just, to we're getting to where we should probably end soon, but, um, a few other readings that, that I tossed out there that were not by King, but I felt were, you know, important to go mm. along with it one is by a guy pacifist christian pacifist named aj musty uh yeah. a few readings by the catholic monk thomas merton who mm. i think when and he died in 1968 as well under yeah. on a trip to vietnam and some suspicious circumstances yeah. and in fact the the abbey of gethsemane in, in um near bardstown kentucky where he lived the last decades of his life initially they demanded that there be an autopsy and uh, then they backed off and were like, well, whatever, fucking done. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but he was in Vietnam, you know, doing these, uh, reaching out to Thich Nhat Hanh, which is, I mm. think, how you pronounce that. I don't really know. But um, who is one of my favorite writers? Yes. And he and King, Merton and King, were, I think, making plans to meet each other when King okay. died. And I think he yeah. corresponded with Greta Scott King. Anyway, he wrote a lot about race. Uh, in his best book, I think, is one called Faith and Violence. But um, so we did a reading from that. And then we did a reading from this guy, Walter Wink, another theologian who mm. has this really, uh, he wrote this book series about the powers, like confronting the powers, I forget. But this chapter where he talks about nonviolent engagement, or in other words, yeah. nonviolent direct action, is just super, super interesting about Jesus's, um, how, how Jesus 
has been misinterpreted, like turn the other cheek, you know, has been mm. completely misinterpreted and how it's actually yeah. a form of resistance, you know, in an oppressive situation. And um, without going, <clears throat> excuse me, without going into that, uh, you know, because it's just too much to go into at this point, but <laughs> I, I highly recommend that you look up Walter Wink. Yeah, um, I had never heard of him until you until you sent me that and um, yeah. you know read his, his comments about um, you know turning the other cheek were were really really interesting. So yes, Walter yeah. Wink, and I think you can probably if you Google Walter Wink, Jesus's Third Way Nonviolent Engagement, that chapter will probably come up. I don't know that for sure, yeah. but you can probably find it. Um, um, you know, pretty pretty easily. But the, the reason yeah. that I that I selected these uh, to be um, in addition to King was because each of these people were religious, Christian, and even pacifist, but mm. also revolutionaries. Right. And um, in fact, A.J. Musti, who is a pacifist, went so far as to say that, um, what is it? In a world built, built on violence, one must be a revolutionary before one can be a pacifist. Mm. Uh, you know, King, or, uh, Merton says the theology of love must seek to deal realistically with the evil and injustice in the world and not merely to compromise with right. them. A theology of love may also conceivably turn out to be a, th a theology of revolution. In mm. any case, it is a theology of resistance. And then in one of my favorite phrases ever written, he says, theological insight is no substitute for the wisdom of the serpent, which is seldom acquired in Sunday school. You know, <laughs> in other words, you got to be able to get down there and yeah, and, get on the ground, you know, think like a serpent and, yep. you know, you know, and use the serpents, you know, methods against them and, and all that. And, and, and that you have to be prepared for what he calls the limit situation where the only alternative is violent resistance right um that you should not engage in that unless it is literally literally the only option but but historically we see that sometimes it is yeah you know i i doubt very much if hitler would have been persuaded right to not commit genocide against the jews if they had practiced nonviolent resistance and in fact I mean, they probably did i don't you know i'm not a well they had, I, I remember um from the from the uh from gandhi's autobiography um that uh, that an interviewer had asked him if if uh nonviolent resistance could uh have overcome hitler and his response was not without defeats no. but aren't but aren't there defeats in the war as it is um yeah. now that's uh, i'm paraphrasing but uh, you're right you're right like like if we if if nonviolent action had been the only response to hitler pretty sure the nazis would have won yeah but but it could have been a response. Yeah, your, yeah, your, yeah. It probably was a response right. at, at various times. Right, right. Well, and also, like, and uh, I should have said this earlier when you were talking about, but um, King was not opposed to violence as a form of self-defense. Like Exactly. He, his discussion of violence and nonviolence was in the context of a social movement. Yeah. You know, he said, if somebody breaks into your house is going to kill your family, then fuck. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like <laughs> you got Absolutely. a right to defend yourself, you know, right? it's um, the whole misinterpretation of what nonviolent means yeah. of what turning the other cheek means of all that stuff. It's, it, yeah. it doesn't mean that you passively sit by and let somebody kill you. No. Right. Yeah. Uh, it means like you said, love, That's, right. Love in action is revolutionary. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, another key thing, 
that underlies that for King is this difference between attacking like individual um, confrontations mm. and confrontations between social groups or so, social mm. powers. Right. And in individual confrontations, this is why, like, I think one of the great weaknesses of violence for him is yeah. that it tends to focus on not always. I mean, there, you know, but uh, like, uh, uh, well, I don't want to get into all that. Well, I don't, I, I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm just going to stop talking, but because um, <laughs> we could, it's just too much to get into at this point, I think. Well, and I, I really wish we could talk. Well, I know we could talk for another couple of hours about Dr. King, because yeah. I know that, that we both um, love him, yeah. <laughs> love the work that he did and the, and the words that he wrote. Uh, but and please, if we want anybody yeah. to listen to this podcast at length, we probably should stop at some point. Yeah. And please listen or listen, please read some Dr. King. Please read. Yeah. Where do we go from here? Please read letter from a Birmingham city jail. Please read the social organization of nonviolence. Those three, those three, which were the the first ones that, so Chris, Chris, even though I'm the host today for whatever that fucking means, uh, Chris uh, was kind enough to send me links, uh, PDF copies, whatever, of several of these writings that he's talking about. And I had read some of them, but I had not read Where Do We Go From Here? I should have at this point in my life, but I hadn't. And, um, well, I I should have. I don't want to shame people for not having read something. Um, sometimes you just don't know about it. Yeah. So read, read, where do we go from here? And, and letter from a Birmingham. Show. Because I, th- I think those two really do speak to the revolutionary nature of, yeah. of King's, um, attitudes and yeah. writings and sermons. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like non, so the, uh, when I was talking earlier about those permanent groups that he wanted, I mean, essentially what he's calling for is we need nonviolent militias. <laughs> essentially right. um, to protect people and to fight for people's rights yep. and to, to not be oppressed. And, you know, this is, and we don't, I mean, even, even if we were leaders of an organized movement at the moment, I mean, or, organizing is necessarily kind of an ad hoc, you know, you have to come up with creative responses over and over. There is no, I mean, there's some principles you follow, mm but you continually have to reinvent your strategies and evaluate your strategies based on what the enemy is doing and based on how effective and based on, you know, internal dynamics and all that sort of stuff. But one of the things that, that you and I, at least at this moment, I think are determined to do with this enterprise podcast website, mm-hmm. the fuck, you know, it ter- ends up being yep. is giving people a way to participate in a organized yes. social movement. Yes. Um, please don't, like let's not have delusions of, of grandeur, nope. you know, but you know, at least at the moment, but you know, you have to start somewhere Absolutely. and maybe, maybe there ends up being some, you know, group that we can just kind of tag on to of or whatever. Um, but there, cause I know, and I'm sure you do too. Like I know literally hundreds, if not thousands of people that are just like us that are really pissed off and, and don't um, know what to do. And don't know what to, and really frustrated yep. and, you know, really sad yeah. Oh my Lord. <laughs> and dejected, you know, yeah. about the state of the world and, yeah. and, and are looking for somewhere to put their energies yep. and not finding it. And we would love um, for you, those energies to be a part of our scooping community. Yeah. And then like Chris said, if, if, if we uh, grow to be a movement on our own, wonderful. And if not, it was, if there's something else that we can attach ourselves to, well, the more the merrier. 
Yeah. So for now, please, you know, share this podcast widely with people who you think might enjoy it and yeah. you, you think might be pissed off by it. Please, you know, leave us a review somewhere and please do get in touch. We really do want to think, want to know what you think yep. about these topics and what we've said. Chris at scoopingsanity.com, C-H-R-I-S, Otta at scoopingsanity.com, O-T-T-E. You know, let us know what you think. Uh, leave us a review. We do have the only, I think, social media that we are on currently is Blue Sky uh, <laughs> at at Scooping Sanity. You can you can leave us something there. Um, and, and especially we want to know your thoughts, but especially on topics like this, yeah. let us know if you think we have said anything not accurate, unfair, right. like if there's a different perspective that we should consider, yeah. if we, you know, uh, said something offensive, <laughs> you know, especially we, we may well have, um, we are two know, white dudes who just spent an hour and 20 minutes talking about Dr. Dudes. King. So that's right. Um, exactly. We, we easily yeah. could have fucked up. Uh, but, yeah. but yeah. So please let us know if we did fuck up and please, please, yeah. um, please, as Chris said, share this, uh, as often as you can share this podcast on, uh, Spotify, on Apple podcasts, everywhere that fine podcasts are down, everywhere that fine and not so fine podcasts are downloaded. <laughs> please, um, please share it. Yeah. All so right, we started this conversation talking about the NFL. So uh, we, uh, I just wanted to briefly say one of yeah. my favorite things about the NFL is that the National Football League, which consists of 32 teams from the nation of the United States of America, the National Football League in a few weeks will have the National Football League championship called the Super Bowl, where the National Football League will crown a world champion. <laughs> one of my favorite right. things about the NFL about America in general. About America in general. God right, bless the champion, us. We are, the champion here is the champion of the universe. We are the champions of the universe. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's America. So, you know, it's the most important place that, that God has ever blessed with existence. Thank God Jesus spoke English. That's right. I know <laughs> it. Every day. Every day I'm grateful for that. Uh, and was white and had blonde hair and blue eyes. Yeah. Well, duh. Yeah. Duh. Absolutely. All right, man. I love you. I love, I love you, Chris. Listeners. Uh...